All right, well, tonight we're in Matthew chapter 14, and Matthew chapter 14 has so much in it. I mean, at the beginning of the uh, chapter, um, you're, you're looking and seeing that uh, you've got uh, Herod, and you have John the Baptist, and he's in jail, and he, you know, John the Baptist loses his head, and there's a whole story behind that, and, and then you uh, come down, and Jesus is going through and he's healing people and um, Jesus says went forth uh, in the multitude in verse number 14 and was moved with compassion towards them and he healed their sick. Uh, Everywhere Jesus went, uh, he was healing people. Everywhere he went, uh, somebody's life was changed, amen? And when Jesus Christ shows up in your life, you'll be changed. You'll be cha- there ought to be a change in somebody's life when he shows up. Uh, I always worry about somebody that says, well, I got saved or I trusted in Jesus Christ, yet their life, they're still living it like they did before. Uh, they didn't meet the same Jesus I met. And I don't think, you know, and I could be wrong. We might get to heaven. There's all kinds of people like that. But I believe there ought to be a change. There ought to be fruit in your life. And everywhere he went, uh, people's lives were changed. And uh, here we get down to verse number 15. Start with me there. It says, And when it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a desert place, uh, and the time is now past. Send the multitude away, that they may go into the village and buy themselves victuals. But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart. Give ye them to eat. They said unto him, We have uh, but five loaves and two fishes. And he said, bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up into heaven, he blessed and brake, and gave the loaves to the, his disciples and his disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled, and they took up the fragments that remained, twelve baskets full. And they that had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into the mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus saith, uh, Jesus uh, went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. They that were, uh, then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. 
I want to talk to you tonight about being a water walker, about being a water walker. And I think everyone in here tonight could be a water walker. You say, what in the world is he talking about? Am I actually going to walk on water? Well, it requires faith, and that's kind of where I'm going at tonight. you got to have faith. Uh, and uh, verse number uh, 28 and 29 says, And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Uh, let me give you a little bit of a background. When I went to Las Vegas, Nevada, that is not necessarily a place where everybody wants to go to, especially if you're a Christian. Uh, you just don't pick Las Vegas as a place to go and, uh, or a place to pastor. Uh, you know, I think about places like uh, the Caribbean or Hawaii or Fiji or, you know, someplace like that. And uh, I've got some good friends in places like that and God's using them in a mighty way. You know, or come to North Carolina or someplace like that. And, but uh, no, God took me to a desert place. He took me to a desert place. And um, I had been praying for quite some time, Lord, why are you putting this on my heart? And uh, my wife is from Las Vegas. Her dad was the pastor there, Pastor Pete McKenzie. And uh, he had been praying for me. If you want to really get in trouble, just marry a preacher's daughter because they're probably going to pray for you to come and help them. Amen. And uh, uh, I didn't know what I was getting myself into because I was just a country kid. And um, we started going down and they didn't have anybody to help out with their teens. They didn't have any youth programs. They didn't have any children's programs. And uh, God just really laid it on my heart. I kept seeing all these kids on the street. I kept thinking to myself, man, these kids need somebody who could just love them. Running around on the streets, parents not around, people that were drunk, and uh, parents just leaving their kids to go in with a, you know, uh, food stamps and buy whatever they can at a gas station to, to feed themselves. And so once a month, I was driving down to Vegas, sometimes twice a month from Idaho. I'd make the 11-hour trip and uh, do a youth activity have church in the morning, and then uh, right after church, my wife and I would leave because I had to be back at work, uh, usually about 4 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning. On Monday morning, I'd make the 11 o'clock or 11-hour drive to go back, and my wife was working at the bank. But God kept telling me to go down, and um, finally, I went to my pastor. I said, Pastor, I think God wants me to move to Las Vegas. And pastor said, wait. He said, wait. And you know what uh, uh, you'll do if your pastor says wait? You wait. <laughs> Just uh, listen to your pastor. And so I waited, and I waited a whole year, and, and we kept going down, and come, but the, the burden wouldn't go away. The burden just wouldn't go away. And uh, finally, uh, I remember calling Brother Mitchell. And uh, I said, Brother Mitchell, the Lord's told me that I'm supposed to go to Las Vegas. And he says, are you sure you're supposed to go to Las Vegas? And uh, I said, well, I'm a little bit nervous, but I believe that's where God would have me to go. And can I tell you, I was so nervous about leaving Idaho. I'm a country kid, farm kid. You know, I grew up raising cattle and, and you know, doing everything that country kids do. And um, just, uh, you know, I was plumbing at the time and 
I was thinking to myself, what am I doing? And I'm packing up my, my, I got two babies and my wife and a U-Haul and I'm going to move to Vegas and now what am I going to do? And uh, as I was driving down there, you know, all of a sudden the devil will start playing with your mind. And he'll start telling you, you know what, you should just turn this vehicle around and go back. Uh, you're doing the wrong thing. Uh, you shouldn't step out like this. And, and really, I was stepping out by faith because um, it was going to be totally new to me. You know, living in a big city, living in where people are crazy, you know, and, and uh, where all this sin is at, you know, sin city. Well, one thing I did learn is there's no difference between Las Vegas and Statesville, North Carolina. The only difference with the sin is in Nevada, they put it right in your face and they say, you know what, we're here to sin and it's okay. Uh, in Statesville or any other place or any other city in America, um, maybe except for New York City or Chicago or whatever, but uh, basically what they do is, well, hey, we're all good people. We all go to church and we don't have any sin. <laughs> but everybody has sin, don't they? I tell you this background story because my first day of work was the following day and I had gotten a job with a plumbing company. I was still working in Idaho. My wife was down uh, looking for some things and she uh, dropped, a, I said, drop the application off. And they called me up and they hired me on the spot. I never sight unseen or anything and, I, and I'm trying to figure out where I got to go and I got to drive across town and I figure out where I'm going to go the night before, and I get up early in the morning to drive to work, and I'm on the 15, and if anybody's ever been to Las Vegas or you've seen the Strip, the 15, which is the main freeway, runs right along the Strip area where all the casinos are at. It's about 4.30 in the morning, and I had uh, on my way to work, and I'm in a little Toyota Corolla, and I uh, got all my tools in it. You know, it was a real good manly car for construction, and... Uh, you know, I got all my tools and plumbing stuff. My wife wouldn't get in the car anymore because it smelled like plumbing. And uh, I, I'm going to work, and this car clips the front of my car. And I'm spinning on the freeway now. And I remember looking and just going in a big circle. And I came about six to eight inches away from the wall at 65 miles an hour. And I was facing, I was horizontal on the, on the uh, uh, freeway, and I'm pointed at Caesar's Palace. My car shut off, it died, and I can hear truckers, and I see lights flashing, and you can hear Jake brakes going on, and they're all trying to get the truck to stop. And I'm thinking, I'm dead. I moved to Vegas, and I'm dead. And uh, that's all I could think of, I'm dead. And all of a sudden, it was like the Lord said, turn the key. And I turned the key, and the car started. I didn't lose any tires. And he said, put it in drive, and I put it in drive. And I got back on the freeway, and I went to work. And I sat there just shaking. You know the feeling where you just sit there and kind of shake? Like you've been through a traumatic event. And I was shaking, and I was thinking to myself, what just happened? And here's what God told me, son, you are in my father's hands. And I've told you to come to Las Vegas. I've asked you to come here 
and be a light. And I'm not going to let anything happen to you. I'm protecting you. I've got you until I'm finished with you. And it was like he was sitting right next to me and talking to me. And for all I know, he was. I just didn't see anybody. But I remember calling my wife. I'm like, you're not going to believe this, but here's what God told me. And I felt like there was an angel around me and surrounded me. And that whole day, I felt like God was just pressed upon me. Like I had somebody with me the whole day. And it was so amazing. And uh, I'll never forget that experience. And maybe you've had an experience like that. But I say that because uh, when you look at this story, uh, there was things that the disciples got to experience that nobody else ever experienced. And Peter was one of those. And Peter, uh, when he uh, was told to get on the boat with those, uh, the rest of the disciples, uh, you know the story, here they are, and, and uh, they had all this extra food, but they didn't take any of it with them. They were not Baptists. I don't care what anybody says. Baptists take food with them everywhere. you got to have snacks in the car. you got to have water in the car, right? A good Baptist is going to have a picnic basket, all right? Yogi the bear was a Baptist, all right? And uh, his sidekick, boo-boo, amen? And so... Um, but uh, here they are, they've got no food, and, and God sends them out. And these are men, remember, these are men that had been on a ship before. They knew the water, they were fishermen. And if you saw a storm coming, uh, you know, if somebody told you, hey, there's a storm coming, you can see the storm clouds rolling up, you're not going to, you're going to, like, that's a bad storm. We're not going to go out right in that water. We can see how the water's moving. We, but the Lord told them to go, and they went. And whether they weren't paying attention, I don't know what they were doing. They were amazed by what had just happened, but they left the food. God, if I was a disciple, I'd say, hey, guys, we're going to take a few of these baskets with us, okay? And, uh, but they didn't do that. And uh, Jesus sends them out, and, and they're... Uh, you know, they were fit to be on that boat. They were fit to be able to be in a storm. They were fit to, to know how to handle that ship. They were comfortable in the boat. And sometimes as Christians, we get comfortable in our boat. You get comfortable where you're at. I was comfortable in Idaho. I was comfortable in my home. I was comfortable raising cattle. I, was, I had a comfortable job. I had a, a comfortable house. I was comfortable with my kids and I was you know, comfortable in all these different situations in the class that I was teaching and, and whatever it might be that, that God might be working in your life right now. But here the disciples were comfortable. And can I tell you tonight, in order to be closer to Jesus Christ, we need to be willing to take that first step out of the boat. Really, it's a ship, it's not a boat. There's a difference between a ship and a boat, and it says that it was a ship here, excuse me. So if I say boat or ship, just know I mean ship, okay? But Peter asked Jesus to allow him to be close to him. Have you, allow, have you asked Jesus Christ if you could be close to him tonight? Or, or are you just comfortable where you're at? You're so comfortable that you're not willing to get closer to Him. You, you, you want Him to get close to you, but you're not willing to take that first step out of the ship towards Him. 
You see, getting out of a ship is a lot harder than getting out of a boat. Uh, I've gotten out of boats before, you know. They're just low and you can just step over a boat. A ship has a railing on it. A ship is a bigger vessel. A ship is something that takes many men to put up the sails and to guide it and to steer it and to drive it into the wind or whatever they were doing. And, and here Peter's like, man, I want to get off. I'm going to get into this water. It was boisterous and it was wavy. And uh, they see Jesus out there. Is it a spirit? We don't know what it is. Jesus talks to them. They hear his voice. They just see something out there. And he says, hey, bid me come out on the water. Uh, Psalms 145 and verse number 18. Psalms 145, verse number 18 says, The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him. To all that call upon him in truth. Listen, if you're truthful with him tonight and you call upon him, you can get closer to Jesus Christ. As Christians, we should all want to have a closer relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You should want him to be as close to you as you can uh, be as close to him. Man, I just messed that all up. Let me start over again. You should, uh, you, what am I trying to say, Lord? You should want to be as close to him as you possibly can. And you should want him to be as close to you uh, as he can. And he wants to be. He's begging to be close to you. But so often we're so comfortable, we're saying, no, Lord, I'm okay right where I'm at. No, Lord, you know, I'm not going to take... Nobody else said, hey, bid me to come out of the water. Hey, I'm coming with you, Peter. Hey, you know, they're probably looking at him and go, you're an idiot. I don't know if you can say that in this church, but I just did. I apologize. <laughs> you're a dummy, you know. <laughs> what do you think you're doing? Don't you know you can't walk on water? Don't you know that you're going to drown? Peter, you're not that good of a swimmer. We've seen you swim before, okay? We know you. Peter, come on. How, are you sure that's the Lord? Are you sure that's the Christ? You, you know, it could be somebody else. You know, the wind's blowing and the rain's going and everything's happening. Hey, I'm going to come out on there. You know what? I don't, I don't think he just stepped out of that ship. He jumped out of the ship. Now, in my younger years, I would jump off this platform. But if I did that, you'd be calling 911 right now. But just imagine this fat guy jumping off the boat. Well, you know, off the ship. And he jumped off it, and he landed solidly on the water. He didn't sink down. He didn't get wet. I mean, maybe the rain was making him wet, but he landed just like I'm standing on this platform here tonight and uh, that was faith you know we exercise our faith when we take the first step out of the ship out of the boat Hebrews eleven six says but without faith it is impossible to please him for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Do you seek him tonight? Do you really seek him? Do you diligently seek him? Because it says he will reward you if you will. He will reward you if you will. You know, I told you that story of me getting turned around on the freeway. Man, that was a scary thing. I'm looking at the wall. I'm hearing cars go by and... 
and there was nothing wrong with my car except the bumper was a little tweaked, you know, from the car bumping me. And uh, that was just that was just spooky. But I know that when we exercise our faith, God's not done with you yet. If you're willing to do that and, and God wants you to do it, listen, you don't have to worry about the next step. Just take the first step. You know, the, the, the ship may always appear to be the safest place to be. But the greater blessings come from being next to the Lord. We always think, man, I, if I just stay in this place, I'm safe, I'm comfortable, I got everything I want. You know, this chair here, man, this chair is comfortable. I'm just going to sit in this chair. Well, now I'm just going to preach from this chair. You know, I really enjoy, this is a safe place to be, you know. I'm at least six feet from everybody. I can't get COVID anymore. You know, this is great, right? And everything's good. Everything's uh, dandy. But l listen, the, the bottom line is if I just stay in that chair and I don't go get out and I don't pull a track out of my pocket, which I actually have some, not from this church, but from Brother Roberts where I'm staying. And I always, when, when I stay someplace or I go to, Another area, I don't bring my tracks. i got to find the tracks from the area, amen? And uh, i got to find somebody else's tracks with their church information on it and hand them out to somebody. You know, it's scary to hand out a track to somebody. I'm sure there's somebody in here today that you were scared to hand out your tracks this last week. It's okay. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to be scared to even talk to somebody about the Lord. Anybody ever... Nervous about talking to somebody about the Lord? When God's told you, hey, talk to that person. You go, man, I don't want to talk to that person. No, you need to talk to that person. Well, I don't have time to talk to him. I got to get gas. I got to do this. I got to do that. I don't have time to talk to him. The Holy Spirit says, you need to talk to that person. And you can make up every excuse in the book. But the bottom line is, we just need to have faith that God's going to reward us if we'll do what he's asking us to do. What's the greatest reward we can have? Just having fellowship with him. That's your greatest reward. Don't, listen, don't, quit worrying about crowns and jewels and, and ducks and you know all, all that kind of stuff. Just do it because you want to be closer to Jesus. Just do it because, and, and I'm all for the ducks, okay? I love duck hunting. I think that's great. And... Uh, are they pintails, or what are, you, what are you putting on the... They're mallards? Are they yellow ducks? Rubber ducks? You going to take a bath in the baptistry afterwards, or have a race, or what? Amen? You guys are going to go to the creek? Let's race our ducks now, red or blue. And uh, rubber ducks, okay. You can put them in a slingshot and then shoot them with a shotgun or something. Amen. I don't know. That sounds a good time, doesn't it? Pull up, pull them, pull up, pull up, full, fill them full of candy. Amen. You know, and hit them or whatever. Have a big, do they do those around here? Do y'all do uh, pinatas? They have pinatas around here? We got pinatas everywhere. I, li I live in little Mexico, so they're pinatas all the time. Amen. But I'm going to get off track here. But our blessings come from being close to the Lord. So exercise your faith by just taking the first step. Listen, it doesn't have to be a big step. Just take a small step.
If you're scared to take the big leap, take just a small step. And uh, listen, the boat may appear to be the safest place, whatever it is. All my kids are in Christian school, and you know that's a safe place to be, and, and they're getting a good education, and there's lots of Christian schools around here, but God lays on your heart that you're supposed to homeschool your kids. Well, you know what? If we homeschool them, then you know, I'm not going to have time to eat my potato chips and you know dad's going to have to do something and you know what if i what if i mess up and i think most christian parents are well, what if i screw up my kids education <laughs> i remember when we made that decision to homeschool our kids and um well number 1 schools are horrible in nevada but number 2 god had laid it on our hearts even before that that when we had kids we were going to homeschool our kids and everybody gave us a hard time for that. My parents gave me a hard time for homeschooling my kids. They said, man, they're not going to get a good education. Well, you know what? Both my daughters have graduated from college now, and one graduated with her nursing degree this last year. And uh, she was on the president's list, and she got a scholarship, and um, she did very well, and uh, she's working now, and um, God's blessed her mightily. And she was a homeschool kid, amen, and uh, made it through some medical things and some pretty, pretty hard schooling. You can teach your kids. You might go, well, you know, that's a safe place to be, and, and uh, what if I mess up? Well, if God told you to do it, then you need to do it, amen. And then secondly, faith is one small step after another. Just take one step after another. All I can ever think of when I wrote this down was, I remember, uh, I think it's uh, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, the old cartoon. Anybody ever remember that one? You know, uh, uh, some of you do. You know, don't, don't tell me you never watched Santa Claus is Coming to Town. You know, you all did. You know, you all did. You were all kids at one point in time, you know. Mom and Dad, please let me watch Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Kids, Santa Claus is not real. You know, I'm not promoting Santa Claus. But in there is the abominable snowman guy or the wizard or whatever his name is, you know, and, and he can't walk. And they, they sing that song, put one step in front of the other. I know some of you are like, this guy's nuts. <laughs> and uh, But every time I say that, I think of that song, amen, and... Uh, but in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it does say, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Listen, you can't walk by sight because you'll always look at whatever's in front of you and say, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't make it. I can't. There's no way that I can get that done. Man, pastor wants me to do this class. He wants me to, you know, teach in the Sunday school or he wants me to take a group of kids out and, and, and you know, give him a bonfire or something or whatever it is. It doesn't matter. He wants to put me in charge of going to a nursing home and, and you know, teaching old people that are asleep anyway. Amen? And uh, I'm not making fun of any old people here. Amen? I promise. Because that didn't come out right. But uh, I know my love offering just went brown. And... Uh, but I've been, in the, I've been in the nursing home, you know, and, and we, go to a, we used to go to one and they would bring in everybody and it was, you know, and it wasn't, it was just a convalescent home. And half of the people in there are sleeping. 
And there was one old lady in there. She'd amen everything. And she just amen, 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 amen. And then you go up to her afterwards and she said, what, did, what were you here for? Amen. <laughs> what, what were you here for? And uh, you think, man, am I making a difference? But you know, you got to at least put a smile on their face. If that's what God wants you to do. Or homeschool your kids, or maybe it's changing jobs, or maybe it's getting into ministry, or maybe it's taking an institute class, or maybe it's just reading your Bible. You've been scared to read. You know, there's Christians out there that are scared to read this Bible. Some of it's because maybe they came from a different religion that told them, you can't understand it. But you can understand it. God's Word is living, and He wants to share that with you today. And so, uh, listen, just take the one step and, and, and keep going and, and do it. Uh, we get our, uh, you know, just our, our ideas all messed up sometime. But you just got to take one step. And that's what Peter did, man. He got out of the boat and he just started taking one step closer to Jesus. I wonder if he, Jesus just stopped on the water and waited for him. Because he wasn't close to the boat. He had to walk to Jesus. He walked to him. He went out there into water to him. He got away from everybody. Listen, what do we have to do? We have, well, we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. Taking your eyes of, off of Christ will cause you to sink. Peter ended up sinking, didn't he? And you will all sink if you take your eyes off Jesus. Tonight, if you go home and you take this Bible and you say, tonight's the last night, and, and this happens, people go... I, I'm, not, I'm not ever going back to church again. I've had it. And you take your Bible and you throw it on the shelf and it collects dust over the next few years. And you are never expecting, and maybe you're expecting to come back to church. But something happens during the week and you say, I'm never going back to church again. I don't need church anymore. You say, that'll never happen. Happened to my dad. My dad was a pillar in the church. My dad was somebody who loved the Lord and was in Master Club and Awanas and uh, Sign Ministry and other ministries. And, and one day, I find out my dad just, I don't need to go to church anymore. I'll just get it on TV. I'll just, I'll just listen to somebody's broadcast. I'll just... You know what that did to my relationship to my dad? It made it very hard to talk about anything anymore, except for the weather. And there might be some of you out there that are like that today. You have family members you are like, I don't know what to talk to them about anymore. But I can talk to other individuals, and man, we start talking about all kinds of stuff because we have something in common, and that's serving the Lord together. That's an amazing thing you got to keep your eyes on. Listen, don't take your eyes off Jesus or you'll sink. Now, is it too late for him to reach his hand up and get back into church and quit sinking? No, it's not too late. But he's going to have to reach his hand up because the Lord's hand's already reaching down towards him. But listen, sinking's not the end of the world. Uh, you can look to Christ again for a fresh start. And um, you got to keep your eyes on Jesus. You know, a lot of our problems as Christians today is we do get our eyes off of things. And this is what we say, I can do it myself. I got this handled. You know why Peter sank? I don't know if he sank because 
you know, he actually looked off of Jesus, or it was the metaphorical thing, like he got with Jesus, but all of a sudden he's like, man, I got this thing down now, look at me, and, and he went down. Isn't that like a lot of Christians today? They get puffed up. Uh, they get thinking that they can do it on their own. And, uh, and then when you sink, that's what everybody thinks about you. Oh, Peter, yeah, he walked on the water, but what's the one thing that they always say about him? Oh, yeah, he sank. Oh, yeah, he sank. And I'll get that to you in a minute, but I'll tell you a little story. And, uh, you know, sometimes we think that we can do things on our own, can't we? We think, man, I got this. Uh, you ever seen those stickers out there and people are putting them on their cars now and it says, I got this. I don't have anything. I know that. Uh, if I try to do something, I usually break it. My wife tells me to stop. You know, I'm like, I got it. Just stop. No, I got it. You know, I can fix this vacuum. You know what? We're just buying a new one, sweetheart. I can't figure out what's wrong with it. And then I'm thinking to myself, I broke this thing now, you know. It's cost me another 300 bucks, you know. And um, I should break more guns. And, uh, but uh, it was really hot, and it was on a Sunday. And uh, I'm cheap. No, I'm, I'm frugal. That's a better word. I'm frugal, amen? Frugal. And so I said, I'm going to put a swamp cooler in my house, try to cool things off and use water, you know, and less electricity and then the air conditioner. Because I don't like turning the air conditioner on. You say, what do you mean you don't like turning the air conditioner on? Well, my bill is around $500 a month for electricity during the summertime with the electricity going. About that, right? 600 bucks, And our power just went up again. And uh, I got very little gas, and the gas bill goes. So I'm like, you know what? We're not turning the heater on this year either. And finally, my wife's like, she goes, like, what? I said, put an extra blanket on. And, and the gas bill was enormous. She's like, it is cold in here. Can we please? And so we got one of them systems, you know, where people can now adjust the thermostat. And I go, oh, who's adjusting the thermostat? I set that thing at 68, 65, and you can put a sweater on. She's like, I'm so cold. I broke in the other day. Okay, turn it on. Turn it up to 68. I'll give you a couple degrees. But I'm frugal. Oh, that's my point. And I was getting ready to put the swamp cooler in, and my wife says, you should ask for help to do this. And I said, I don't need no help. I'm a plumber. I can do this on my own. I just knocked the window out. I broke that. And then uh, I did. I broke the window. And she's like, what are you going to do? I said, I, I, I we're just going to leave the swamp cooler in there. Don't worry about it. And, uh, and I got the... I got the swamp cooler, and I kind of get it up there, and I'm trying to fit it in the window, and I'm shoving things, and you hear snap, 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 and she's like, are you okay? I go, I'm fine. And Brother Mitchell was talking about, like, arguing with your spouses and being angry and stuff. And, you know, I was a little grumpy. At 110 degrees, and you're out there, and you're sweating, and it's coming in my eyes. And she's like, you know, you really ought to call somebody. They could help you out, put this window in the window real fast. I'm like, listen. I don't need nobody's help. I know how to do this, all right? And we were arguing back and forth, and, and I got a camp meeting, and I was still the teen pastor at the time. I got a camp meeting that night. And so I'm trying, she, she's trying to get some stuff together, and I got to get this camp meeting, but I got to get this swamp cooler on because I am not turning the air conditioner on. 
And uh, I got all these tools in my garage. And uh, finally, I give up. I go, man, I can't get the swamp cooler in. She goes, you want me to call Brother Trilock? I was like, yeah, call him. He comes over and bloop, we put it right in the window. Man, I got the thing in the window. And he's like, oh, we need this, we need this, we need a couple of tools. And so I go into my garage to get some tools. Now, we had been doing Master Club. We had just gotten done doing the, the, the what do you call that? Pinewood Derby cars. Do you all remember the Pinewood Derby cars? And you're painting a pine. And, you know, I got four kids. They all want four different colors. I'm like, why can't it all just be white? Amen? And I just paint it white. And so, but anyway, my daughter picked out this color, and it was blue, sparkly paint. And uh, I had all this paint on my workbench and everything and the Dremel and all that kind of stuff, but I have some tools that are pretty sharp for plumbing, and one of them is a three-foot-long screwdriver that I use. And somehow that screwdriver got tipped the opposite way up in the bucket, so the pointy end was up. And I reached over on my shelf to grab something, and I was hurrying because I had to get to this meeting, and I was mad, and I'm sweating, and she's like, can I help you find some? I said, no, leave me alone, woman. And, and I, I said, just give me a minute, you know. And she's like, are you sure you're looking for something? I don't want your help. All right, I got this. And man, I hit that, I hit that paint. And that paint, it was a spray can and it was mostly full. And it hit the top of that spray can at 110 degrees and it blew up. Now, you have to forgive me. I was wearing shorts, amen? I was working. I was wearing shorts and a tank top because it was hot. <laughs> and all of a sudden she hears, because ah! all I could see, I, mean, I got pain in my eyes and I had pain. She's like, what's wrong? I can't see. I can't see. I can't see. What happened? Who put this pain here? You did. Oh, man. Oh. And, and Brother Charlie comes running. Brother, are you all right? I can't see. And then all of a sudden, they start laughing. And I'm in a fog of blue, sparkly paint. All because I got this. You see, I sank. I got 30 minutes before church. And I go, bro, we're going to leave the swamp cooler, turn the air conditioner on. I got to go take a shower and get this paint off. I am painted from my ankles to my forehead. I had blue paint in my ears, up my nose. I looked like I put eyeshadow on. I had, you know... I, I was blue. I looked like an Oompa Loompa if an Oompa Loompa wasn't orange. And uh, I went into the bathroom and I hurried up to take a shower because I got to go, I got to do this meeting. And I got to put a suit back on because I'm spiritual, teen leader. I got everything. I get out of the shower and I am still blue. At 110 degrees, let me tell you what happens to spray paint on the body that's sweaty. It goes into the pores. And it does not come out. I was blue sparkly paint for six weeks. 
I could pull my pant leg up like that and the blue just kept going. I got white now, but I mean, I got white legs, but it was blue, uh, blue sparkly, like the sky. I looked like my daughter's car, Pinewood Derby car. And I had to go to church and everybody's looking at me like, what happened to you? Brother Trilek, he's over there laughing. His wife's laughing. My wife's laughing. And my father-in-law says, you're an idiot. I said, <laughs> and I said, I know. He goes, I don't know why we have you as a teen leader. I said, because you made me the teen leader. Amen. And uh, I had to get up and explain to my teenagers, you know what? We don't always got this. Here I'm trying to teach them about faith. Here I'm trying to teach them about getting out of the boat. Here I'm trying to teach them that sometimes you got to take the first step and then let Jesus lead you. Listen, it's, it's not about me taking the will or, or the, the whole Jesus take the will thing. I, I, need him, I need him to take the will all the time. I should never be at the will. It should always be him at the will. And uh, I suffered for that. I was blue, sparkly painted for six weeks. And uh, I had to go to work like that. I had to go to work with blue eyeshadow on, Amen. I fit right in in Vegas, all right? They're like, wow, Smurf. Papa Smurf put some white beard on. I could go down and get, take pictures and make money, but I didn't do that, amen? And uh, when we take our eyes off of Jesus, when we take our eyes off of doing what he wants from us, we end up sinking. But remember this, sinking's not the end of the world. You can look to Christ again for a fresh start. Peter has a bad reputation for sinking. And young people, you're going to mess up. You know how I know you're going to mess up? Because all the adults that are in here have messed up. But you know what you have to do? Remember to reach your hand up because he's always there to get you. The Bible says he'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Isaiah 57 says this, For the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. There, uh, therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. Here Isaiah was going through some things, and people will give you a hard time about being a Christian. Uh, those of you that are adults, sometimes your family might give you a hard time about being a Christian. But young people... It's not cool to be a Christian. You guys are sharply dressed. You guys going to be pastor's bodyguards one day or what? Are you already his bodyguards? Amen? And uh, it looks like he's starting a mafia over here or something. I don't know. <laughs> Got the girls sitting over here and the guys. Don't marry any of them, okay? Whatever. <laughs> Whatever you do, find somebody else. Amen? Because those guys there, there's something going on there. And uh, just trying to help your parents out, all right? But God will help me, he says. And God will help you. Listen, Peter did put his eyes back on Jesus, didn't he? And he walked back to the boat. One thing that Peter holds that nobody else holds is the rights to water walking. Peter is the only other man to walk on water. Uh, that's an adventure that no one else ever got to do. Nobody ever else got that adventure. Man, I, I like adventure. I like 
going new places. I like meeting new people. And I don't know what the conversation that Peter had with Jesus when they went back to the boat. But man, that had to have been something. He didn't tell us in the Bible. But when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask Peter, Peter, what was your conversation with Jesus when you were out on the water? Well, he was telling me what a dummy I was, and I keep no, that's I don't think that's what he said at all. I th- I think he grabbed him by the hand and said, "Come on, son. Let's show him what we got. You follow me. I told you I'd make you fishers of men." Peter, you haven't seen nothing yet. You think that this is exciting? I mean, he's walking on water, he sinks, and then the Lord reaches down and grabs him, and he's back on solid water again. That's pretty amazing. Listen, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Become a water walker. Like I said, nobody else could do what Peter did. Water walking is living the greatest adventure through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you have faith in him today? Would you be a water walker? So i got two questions for you and I'm done. What's your adventure tonight, Christian? What's your adventure? What's God leading you to do? What's God asking you to take a step out on? And then, really this isn't a question but a statement. Can I tell you it's time to step out of the, the boat? It's time to step out of the boat. Get out of the boat. Come to him and say, Lord, maybe you've been dealing with me about something. And I just haven't known what to do. Just take the first step to him. And the first step is always just coming to the altar. The first step is always just reaching your hand up to him. Because he's always there for us. Would you all join me in being a water walker and living by faith? And this Christian life is the greatest adventure you'll ever live.